I know you guys have like an episode where you tore apart the part of the code. And that was really cool and weird to listen to. Um, <laughs> really? And uh, we're going to ask you about your feedback about that on, on the earth. <laughs> <laughs> we we want you to ra- rate our reading. Rate our reading. <laughs> A dramatic reading. and welcome to episode 36 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have guest rogue Nick Quaranto. Hey, uh, you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. Uh, I'm Nick. Uh, I live in Buffalo, New York. I work for 37 Signals, and I've hacked a lot on RubyGems and RubyGems.org more than any human should possibly want to. <laughs> Although not the most. I don't hold the top the top uh, banner there. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We also have James Edward Gray. I'm back. Yeah, it was kind of different without you. Yeah, it was really weird being on the other side. I got to, like, listen to Ruby Rhodes as a consumer instead of a producer. <laughs> uh, Josh Susser. Uh, good morning, folks. Uh, Avdi Grimm. Hello again. And I'm Charles Maxwood from TeachMeToCode.com. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about Ruby Gems, uh, kind of where it came from and, and, and all the good stuff that surrounds that. So it was suggested by Josh, so I'm going to go ahead and let him kind of uh, lead us into this topic. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, rubygems.org, it's this uh, website that uh, lets us see what gems are available and uh, it also drives the um, downloading of, Ru- of Ruby gems when you type uh, uh, what is it gem install whatever, uh, and so you know there's a whole website there, that, and you know Nick is the driving force behind that. So we wanted to talk a bit about the history of how that came to be and what it does and what it uh, and uh, what the future is. Does that sound okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but what does Ruby gems have to do with? anybody programming Ruby, really. Uh, <laughs> well, what does it? <laughs> Somebody tell me. Well, I, I I kind of, I remember when I first got into the Ruby community and we had, what was it, Ruby Forge? And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so I, I kind of expected collective groans, but it did actually work <laughs> mostly. So I, um, I groaned internally for you. <laughs> so, so I'm wondering, you know, what what were the issues with Ruby Gen- or Ruby Forge that prompted the Gem Cutter rewrite? That's a good question. So, um, I got into gem publishing around when Jekyll started to get popular, and basically, that's the thing that runs GitHub Pages. And I knew nothing of Ruby Gems. I kind of knew Ruby. I, did, I was doing some real stuff. And I was actually looking for open source projects to contribute to. I actually have a post on Reddit from forever ago that's like, I'm in college and I heard this open source thing is cool. What do I do? And someone pointed me at Rubinius and I went running the other way as fast as I could. But then I found Jekyll and I decided to rewrite my blog in it. And from there, I basically knew like I had to hack some things into it. I needed to add some features. So I found out about gems that way. Definitely wasn't like a, it was more of like a natural thing like, oh, I need to hack this feature in. How do I do that? And I started 
looking into gems like that. So basically, through that experience, uh, I learned about GitHub gems, which uh, at the time were starting to get kind of popular. You could like press a little button on GitHub and it would build a gem for you, which I thought was cool. So I could click that. And then I started to look into like, okay, well, what if I wanted to put this on RubyForge? Because that's basically what you had to do to make gem install work. Because it's what it would look at by default was at RubyForge. And uh, I found out that you needed to sign up for an account and then request for access to a project. And I think I put something like Rafflecopter or something in there just to like mess around to see what it would do. And I ended up getting rejected to make a gem. So, why, why, why would anyone reject the Rafflecopter? I don't know. So that's, that's what so happened. awesome. So I got re- I got rejected. They're like, this isn't a project. You're silly. And then I started talking more to um, two other guys at the time. Uh, one was uh, Josh Nichols, who was writing Jeweler, which was a little gem to help me make gems. And uh, he was in Boston, and so was I at the time. And uh, basically, we would drink at Boston RV and talk about the problems he was having with Jeweler. And one of the things he talked about a lot was with Ruby Forge and how it's just was not fun to work with. So apparently we had to like upload things through a form to get it to index your gem. Like that's how you would push your gem before is that you would up, right? Is, is this correct? Yeah, I, I think you're kind of way underselling the process. It was um, okay. It was uh, one of those awesome, you know, 1970s interfaces. So it was really comfortable. And uh, if it's you like wanted, it on the mainframe, if you wanted to uh, upload three files, you could go through the process three times instead of one. That just kind of oh, yeah. added to the excitement. And you forgot the bloodletting. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. I, uh, <laughs> I I performed a seance and danced around a pot three times, and then my gem was indexed. But so anyway, so I uh, I started looking more into RubyForge, and I talked to Tom Preston Werner from GitHub about the problems they were having at, at GitHub, which apparently building gems is not easy. Like they would have all sorts of problems, and they actually had a support queue full of, hey, my gem won't build because of blah, and then they would sometimes fix it, but not usually. And uh, I actually started looking to RubyForge, like, what is going on in this thing? I found out that it was this really old um, GeForce, G, GeForge clone. So when SourceForge used to be open source, that's when they kind of copied it over. And then there's just a ton of weird things and modifications that they've put on. And obviously, it's been awesome, and it served us well. But uh, I actually like wrote out a list of all the things that we shouldn't ever have. And I think it was like, well, we don't need a job board. You can do that. Uh, you can have a journal on RubyForge. This is a whole mess of features. Dear so, diary, today yep. compiled the gem. Yep. So after talking to those to Tom and Josh, we basically said, like, it would be really cool if we had a site that was better. And I think the number one thing was we wanted an API for interacting with gems. One of the things that Josh had to do a lot was scrape the site. And there's actually entire gems, I think Ho and the RubyForge gem, they both like scrape the RubyForge HTML in order to submit your gem. So we're like, this is silly. We need an API to do this. 
and that would be nice. Like I had no idea what that meant. I was like, let's have an API to do that. And uh, we also wanted um, better project pages that were more transparent. Uh, Dr. Nick at the time was, he wrote this new gem thing that would produce a little project page for you and it would show you the command to install your gem in the version number. And I thought that was the neatest thing because nothing, like if you went to a RubyForge page, good luck figuring out what current version it even was or like what was the most recently pushed thing or how many downloads it had. So I thought it'd be neat if we had an easier way that was accessible for everyone to get that information. And then uh, the final thing is that I wanted to be in Ruby. <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer, but I didn't want to hack PHP. Like one of, the, one of the options certainly could have been, oh, let's make Ruby Forge better. But I wanted to write Ruby, and I didn't think that would be possible. So that's kind of the goals I set out with. Well, so after that, you threw together the site first, or or what? Yeah. So. Um, that was, I think, before RailsConf in 2009? Uh, what was the one that was in Vegas? Which, what, what, what year was that? 2008, I think. Okay. It was that one. I went to that one, and um, we, had the, we had the idea before that, and basically I hadn't worked on it much. And I talked to a few people at the conference, and they, were, and they, they gave me a lot of great feedback and they kind of inspired me to try it out. Uh, I think, I forgot who, but someone someone was like, you got to learn how to sell it. Like, the idea was very nebulous at the time. I, now it makes sense. Like, eat, make, make gems easy to release and to share. But before it was kind of this vague thing. Like, we knew that there, there are these goals, but solving the clear problem wasn't there yet. So... I basically went home from that RailsConf and spent the next few months just trying to figure out get, getting those things working. Uh, I read a lot of the RubyGem source code, which is frightening at times, uh, and ended up writing two little Sinatra apps, one for the, uh, the website portion and the other for the indexer. No, 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 the other for the gem server. So basically we needed a... It was basically a database-backed version of the gem server that's in RubyGems itself because the gem server that's in RubyGems itself is file system-based, and that's not, good. that's not good to work with thousands of gems. <laughs> and I basically just went forward from there, and uh, eventually I think things really started exploding when uh, it got up on Ruby inside. There's like a little article. It's like, oh, there, here's this gem source that's taking on GitHub and RubyForge. When in reality, like it wasn't a battle. I'm not saying that it wasn't like I wasn't fighting for it, but saying like I was trying to work towards improving this, the whole situation. Like, especially at, Git, at GitHub, Thomas telling me about the problems they were having, and it seemed like everyone was unhappy with RubyForge and how it worked. I, I just really like the idea of you getting in a, like a, a drinking battle with Tom to see who could <laughs> you know, who could own the the space of hosting RubyGem downloads. I think I'd lose. <laughs> I think I'd definitely lose. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's interesting too because it it kind of got to the point where Ru or GitHub basically said um, RubyGems.org or Gem Cutter. I don't remember exactly 
what it was being referred to at the time is good enough, and so we're not going to host gyms anymore. Yeah. Oh, another thing that was said at Rails that Rails Conf, there was like a panel that all the GitHub guys were on, and I think it was PJ who said who was asked, um, "What's the thing you regret most like about their whole process so far?" And this was in two thousand eight, and he said, "Writing the RubyGem server." <laughs> oh so, man. That kind of like that kind of like it made total sense. Like that's not core to their business, and even now it's more apparent that that's not a thing. And if they went more in that direction, I'm sure they wouldn't. I, I don't think they would have been a, a, successful. So I think they were they were willing and happy for someone else to deal with it. <laughs> it was kind of a vital step in the process, though, right? Because we talked about how you know Ruby Forge was ancient and bizarre. Um, and then, uh, you know, GitHub had plenty of problems with its gem server, but the one thing that was amazing about it was how simple it was, right? Right. I, I think that was an early thing as well. It's like, oh, I have to put forth more effort in order to use gem cutter. But I think that was more of like a lesson of education that it's just difficult to build gems in a robust and automatic way that works across all platforms. Like, they would never build Windows gems. <laughs> right. Um, so I think it makes more sense to have it be done client-side. And the proof is in that GitHub tried it to do it server-side, and it didn't work. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I, I wasn't uh, dissing Jim Cutter there. I was saying that I thought GitHub kind of led the way as far as, you know, look how easy this can be. Check a box oh, definitely. get a gem. And oh, then, Definitely. And then when we got Gem Cutter, I, I felt like you kept that. That, like, you know, look how easy this can be. Gem push and you're done, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so so that kind of leads me into another question that I have, and that is, you know, how do you think that uh, rubygems.org has changed the landscape on on the way that we manage our gems? I mean, you know, it, it definitely changed the ease with which you can submit a gem. I never actually submitted any to RubyForge, but... It's pretty darn easy to get one to rubygems.org. Are, are there any other things that people have told you that they've noticed as far as, you know, how it's affected their workflow or anything? I think just because it's so dang easy now that people are doing it more and they're doing it more frequently and they're putting things up there that wouldn't they wouldn't have done before. Uh, Jeremy Heinegardner, he had a talk at RubyConf the other year is the first one that I was in New Orleans. Uh, and he kind of like mined data out of um, out of RubyGems and out of the, the database we had. And he found out that since like the amount of gems released in RubyForge from like the beginning from like the beginning until when the cutover was was the same as like one year of gem cutter. So, so that's and that's just the first year that I'm I'm really pumped to see what the second year is going to be, to see if there's going to be another huge, if the growth curve continues to skyrocket. So I think that just the the data is really showing it. Um, I think we'll have to find that for the show notes. Yeah, Uh, I I was actually in that talk, and uh, it was a really good talk. And, I mean, he showed the graph, and it's it's interesting because you've got this kind of steady climb of gems being published, you know, as as things go up and then this like wall where it just shoots way up. Yeah. And Jeremy dropped an arrow there and he's like, this is the release of gem cutter. (laughs) (laughs) 
that was kind of that was really humbling. I'm really glad to be a part of that. And I think what I'm more excited it's changing how we've been behaving, but what I'm more excited is to see that it's that same principle be applied to other communities. And we're starting to see it. There's some other uh, there's some other package manager sites that are adopting a more automatic let the users do what they want. Don't you don't need permission for everything approach. And I think that other communities will see a similar growth. And I'm really excited to be to see that happen. So with Gem Cutter's uh, process, so originally you wrote it as like a gem plugin, I believe, and and you had to install the Gem Cutter gem and then you know add the source and then you could push and stuff. And then uh, it it got caught the eyes of Ruby Central, I guess, and kind of became official. Is that how it went? Kind of. <laughs> um, so basically, after that blog post, it kind of, uh, after the blog post on Ruby Inside, it kind of got to a point where I, people were starting to get confused. I, I was seeing it a lot in a lot of readmes, like, oh, install your gem from Gemcutter. And I think the point of it had always been, like, this is going to be the main thing. Like, I'm going big or going home. It's like, if this doesn't work then either like we're taken over or it's going to be the real thing. And I really didn't want it to be like a mean, like, screw you guys. I've got the cool hipster thing now. No, it was supposed to be, it's supposed to be like the better thing to use and to improve what's going on and not be this agitant, this like mean backhanded way. So in order to do that, I had to talk to uh, the Ruby gems team, which is mostly based out of Seattle. And that's mostly, uh, Eric Hodel and Ryan Davis and uh, now uh, Evan Phoenix is really involved too and he helped out a lot so basically it, it was uh, talking to those to those guys and figuring out like what's possible and I basically had a proposal I sent out to the Ruby Gems developers mailing list which is kind of a uh, deep dark hole of where all the Ruby Gems bugs are discussed and yelled about and uh, I had no idea it existed and some scary thing in Ruby Forge, and I basically like laid out like, oh, here's what we could do, and to make these two work together, so we don't make everyone's lives more painful by having these three different competing. Well, at the time it was yeah, it was basically three at the time it was GitHub, Ruby Forge, and Gem Cutter. So instead of having these three competing services, let's make it one, so we're not all going crazy about where gems are fetched and where do I get this. Like if someone pushed the rails to, I think my biggest fear that was driving me for a while was like, okay, well, what if, what if rails is on here and how do I make sure that a bad version of rails doesn't get pushed or something? So I think, I, I, like, I, I think that requires a lot of conversation with rails core team. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it was basically just working together with them and, uh, it was definitely Ruby Central was definitely involved as well because they run the Ruby Forge infrastructure. They um, they finance it, and although they don't work too much on um, Ruby Gems itself, I mean they're the nonprofit that that basically owns the they have they write the checks. So the way it went down was kind of um, the Gem Cutter brand, so to speak, would would go would go away. Uh, Eric. RubyGems maintainer, he owned RubyGems.org, but wasn't really using it for anything. So we decided to move it to that because that sounds official. And uh, 
and then we would move off to um, some separate hosting as well. We were we were on Heroku, and we moved off to Rackspace with the goal of some at some point getting the Ruby Forge infrastructure off on a Rackspace. So it's basically this big shift that kind of I think it, hap- it happened uh, in two thousand nine, I think, and uh, I don't remember exactly when, but that's basically how it went down. Is that we just it was a lot of like you'd think it'd be like. Uh, we all kind of get, got together Old West style and shot at each other, but it really wasn't. It was more like we kind of sat down and figured out what the actual work was. Yeah, leave the shooting Old West style to the rogues. <laughs> I was really humbled by the amount of enthusiasm people put forth. And it definitely sounded like everyone was like, oh, finally someone did this. Thank you. <laughs> Instead of like... Uh, here's this new thing we have to do. So I was really blown away by everyone helping out. So I was wondering, uh, how's your traffic, Nick? I would assume you have quite a bit, just uh, certain um, gems and stuff. Yeah, I haven't looked at this. We just hooked up uh, g- gauges. G- g- I can't say that right. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. I think it's not so, Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, hold on. Sorry, I'm looking up these things. I don't keep them on the top of my head. But uh, it looks like we get around like 20,000 or so people on the site a day. Um, I think if I like sharing this data too, uh, the uptime, like we do uptime through Pingdom, I have, ga- I have gauges and New Relic. And if like this is like more of a general offer because we have like performance problems and other things. So if people want like access to like a real high traffic rail site, like we'll we'll do this at the end too. But I can do that for you. You can play around with it and see what's going on. So I think that's a fun part. When why I love running this service is because it is real and we're using it every day. And uh, I do lose some sleep over it now and again, but uh, I like that. It's fun. So you can't tell us how many bundle installs are run a day? Uh, I wish. <laughs> that would be a good metric to track. I would actually think Bundler gave you a lot more traffic. Is that true when Bundler got popular that the traffic got worse? I don't I don't think it's been a bump. I think it's just been an eventual rise. Because, I mean, if you think about it, right, like... I mean, I, to be honest, I don't have the data on that. But I feel like it's just been going up and up. Because, uh... Because there's just a certain, like, before Bundler, like, I feel like we were still requesting the same amount of gems. I think now it's just requesting the same amount of gems and the right amount of things, and possibly even more, so it can do all the dependency checking. So I think it's hard to track specific Bundle installs because, especially on the older version of Bundler, it's grabbing tons of gems and gem specs, with the newer version of Bundler, there's a specific API endpoint that we that uh, that we wrote to make it go faster. So maybe that would be more conclusive. But there's nothing like Bundler would have to say like at the end when it's done bundling, it would have to make another HTTP request or something. I don't know if it'd be possible to like snapshot an entire install. But as for installs, we get. I haven't looked at the stats for. S3 or CloudFront for a while, but I do know it was expensive. <laughs> so you, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Gemcutter uses S3. We we saw that when we were poking around on it. So the, the gems themselves are on S3? Yes. 
but the index is on Gemcutter server, right? No. So the in, so the index is a list of gems that's available for download, and uh, those Gemcutter is basically uh, a fancy wrapper. If you're if you're to put it in the most simple terms, um, it's a fancy web app around regenerating that index all the time. So every time someone pushes a new gem, it has to regenerate that index and shove it off to S3, which then gets cached by CloudFront. So, and right now the indexes are on S3 and the gem specs and gems are on CloudFront. Um, previously, previously on Gemcutter, um, no, previously on CloudFront, it, um, once you ca- once CloudFront, so CloudFront's a, a CDN. So basically once, once it gets a file like out in Japan, it's going to keep that file in for like a, for 24 hours and cache it. So we tried at first to put the indexes on CloudFront, but it would, you wouldn't be able to update them more than once a day and all at different times. So for right now, the indexes are on S3 because you can update that constantly. How, However, often, now, how often is it updated? Um, my last count was 200 a day. I can whip that up in a second. Wow. Um, yeah, that is I, impressive. I, how I bet how long higher. does it take to generate? Under a minute. Oh, so that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, Evan Phoenix did some really good performance work, and we always – the goal was under a minute when I first had it out. And as um, we got more and more gems, and especially after I brought in all the Ruby Forge gems, it was starting to creep up around two minutes plus – and then uh, Evan optimized the heck out of it. You guys have seen X-Men, right? Because uh, the Phoenix was like the Class 5 mutant. <laughs> yeah, and, and he, he's totally delivered on that, I think. Oh, yeah. I, 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 be- I believe it's level 5. Level 5, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, get your references right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've just been watching Wolverine and the X-Men, so, you know... <laughs> Um, so you, you talked a little bit about the traffic problem. So it was that, yeah, you got everything together, you regenerated the index and then, and then when we moved all the Ruby Forge things in, it got slower and, and then Evan went and used his magic and sped it back up again. Um, and then, uh, Bundler, uh, people have definitely complained Bundler was slow and now we, we modified Bundler and you also modified the application to help Bundler go forward, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but in my opinion, it only made it less slow. <laughs> so so I'm curious, though, if, if it's a file that's already been generated that's sitting up on the cloud, already cached, then what takes so long for it still to get the index and stuff together? Granted, it is faster. Is is that Bundler or is it RubyGems? So I think, I think we're talking about two separate things here. So RubyGems itself only provides a way to find and install a gem. Basically, there's three different lists that are, that are, that are available. Um, the first one is the latest version of every gem for every platform. So for example, uh, Rails, right? The latest version is what, like 3.1 something. And then if I was dealing with a gem like Nokogiri, then it'd be the latest version for Nokogiri and then the latest Java version. So that's one index. Another index is every single gem available ever. That's huge. And then there's another index that is only pre-release gems. 
basically those three lists are all that's available. And that's pretty much all that bundler has to work with along with the gem spec. And the gem spec is, it's what we all know and love. And we write to basically say what's in our gem. And you also write what's, what the dependencies are. So if I'm rails, I depend on active support and active record and whatnot. So the old, the old bundler, basically the one that we're all used to and is slow Basically, in order to figure out dependencies, that's its whole point, it has to look at that gem spec, which has a dependency, right? So that's one HTTP request. So then if you specify five dependencies in your in your gem spec, it then has to make five more HTTP requests. And basically, it has to go all the way down the tree until it figures out everything. So that takes a long time, and that's really the slowdown, And is that there's no way to easily find out dependency information with the stuff that's been available in RubyGems. And definitely, I don't think that was a thing that RubyGems was designed for. Uh, so the way that we've worked around it, like James was talking about, is we wrote a new endpoint on the gem cutter side to say, okay, if I've got, if I say in my gem file, uh, Rails, Nokugiri, I don't know, what else, uh, REST client, and um, Redcloth, what do those four gems depend on? And it will give you all like for those four, it'll get you give you the the dependencies for the for those four. So basically, you can bun, you can group up those requests and make less of them. So that's the real reason why it's slow. I think the file generation and stuff is a whole separate problem. I think Bundler in itself is a uh, interesting mix of problems that RubyGems just simply wasn't designed for. So now we're all dealing with it, and we all sit at our screen watching it. Yeah. So, so, so Nick, I, I've I've heard uh, comments here and there about um, there being some uh, changes pending with uh, Ruby Gems itself to make bundling work better. Do you know Do you know what's going on with that? Anything you can say about that? Uh, the thing I just mentioned was all I know about. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, that new endpoint. I think that endpoint is the first of many iterations, although it's been done since last summer, two summers ago. Um. But I feel that now that the service is in Ruby, we can mess around with it more and try out different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the, I, I feel like the bundler endpoint is kind of the testament to why we did that, right? Right. Oh, definitely. I think the, one of the cool things about what, what I've seen happen around uh, this piece of the Ruby environment is that it's decentralization. There used to be you know, Ruby Forge, and it was this one place that did all of this stuff. And now we have uh, GitHub, where people keep their code repositories, and RubyGems.org, where uh, gems get uh, uploaded and downloaded from. And you know, there's probably a couple other uh, key pieces. Of the, I guess there's you know the bundler tool and the gem command line tool. Uh, but things are now decentralized, and there's multiple teams of people taking care of the tools that we all use, which I think makes for a more robust uh, ecosystem. But I'd, I'd be interested in hearing uh, your perspective as someone who was in that process of um, like centralization versus decentralization, and like you know, just uh, you know, your perspective on that. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's something I would definitely think it's a good thing. I'd rather have a lot of smaller services that are in charge of one thing than one big one that is easy to fail. 
that being said, I think RubyGems.org is even too big to fail. Like if we're if we're down, everyone's host. Like it went down on New Year's on New Year's Day, and uh, like at five in the morning Eastern time, and I didn't know until I woke until my dog woke me up at eight thirty. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and master, I master, Timmy's down a well and, Ru- and yeah. RubyJumps.org is down. Yeah, really. <laughs> Holy crap, am I understanding this correctly? You're tying your dog to tell you when your website's down? That's just <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's a different kind of shot caller. You have to pay extra on Pingdom for it, but it works. <laughs> and uh... It's down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, that shouldn't happen. And we're actually, there's a lot of infrastructure things that we need to do to, and that Evan and I are going to be working on in the next few months along with the other. I have, there's three other guys that have been helping out a lot. Uh, Chris Michael John, I'm probably saying his name wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, Eric Michael, M- Michael Zober and uh, Gabriel Horner. And they're all, they've all been helping out a ton. And I think basically, I think having a decentralized service is definitely important. I like the thing I've been the the constant battle that I've been waging that I don't think will end anytime soon since we've become the official thing is how do we not become Ruby Forge? That's always on my mind. Like, well, if we add this feature, what'll happen? Like a good example is comments. If we add comments on a gem page, what'll happen? And uh, that's something I'm totally opposed to because I think it'll just create another bug tracker, right? That I'll now have to look at my gems page for comments when some, someone comes along, has a problem, and is like, what do I do? And just comments there, and I'll never see it, right? So that's something that I want to keep people from doing, let people decide where they want to have their bug tracker, let people have their source code wherever, not on RubyForge, Ruby gems fine, throw it somewhere else, and that's great. That's something I definitely want to put want to push for is services that do one thing and do it great. I want Gem Cutter to be its main job is to be is to focus solely on serving those gems. That problem is big enough in itself and it's only going to get worse. <laughs> it's only going to get more difficult and more hairy. And especially as now we need like we need I think one of the bigger problems is mirroring, right? Uh mm-hmm. That could be that's definitely going to be a whole nother service that I, that I hope someone else will lead and lead up the infrastructure and stuff with. So I think that having more separate things that are, that are in charge of one one thing instead of more is a good thing is good. I thought that was uh, really insightful what you said about how you know you don't want to add comments because then people would have to track them there and plus that's something. Gem cutter's gonna have to do then, and then you're gonna have to deal with spam and all that kind of crap. Oh know? yeah, which which I think is really cool. Um, you did bring up a good point about mirroring, though. That is, uh, I would guess, the one major thing we lost from Ruby Forge, right? Ruby right. Forge did have mirrors, so that not everything was served from one central place. Agreed. Oh, by the way, I found the stats. Uh, so for last month for CloudFront, it looks like we pushed. 4,000 gigs out. So that's uh, four terabytes. And that's just from the U.S. Two from two terabytes from Europe. Almost a whole terabyte from the Singapore endpoint. And I'd say like a half split between Japan and South America. And that's not even counting S3. Oh, there's a total. Uh, total for CloudFront is a lot. <laughs> um, no, wait, that's internal 
I'm sorry, this is, this report's confusing. But anyway, so there's a lot of traffic, and I found the gem stats too. So we did, um, it's just over 200 a day. I guess last week was kind of weird because it was a holiday week. But like on the 30th of December, we did 200 pushes. Monday, January 2nd, so when everyone's back to work, 240. Tuesday, 244. Uh, and so far, today, uh, 173. <laughs> so those are... Those are pushes. Those are people publishing gems, right? Yes. Yeah. And there's a really nice site called uh, Module Counts um, that has been tracking across all of the different sites. Uh, so there's it tracks CPAN and Pi, PyPy, and some other ones like Hackage for Haskell and NPM. And uh, we were by far like blowing the other ones out of the water. We were over 30,000. According to them, we're, we're at 30,000. My count, uh, yeah, we're, we're around 33, almost 34,000. So that's packages on the system? That's Yeah, that's unique gems. Specific versions, there's a lot of those too. There's even more. So like that's not even – that's a gem, right? So Rails has like how many, how many versions? It has like 30 versions or whatever. Versions, there's 182,000. So that's – the actual gem amount that we're storing. So there's 182,000 plus files, plus gem files hanging around. So that's that, that brings into the whole mirroring thing. Uh, the mirroring problem is something that we need to solve. Um, I've, been, I've been talking about it for a long time. I have, I'm a really bad sysadmin. <laughs> so, and mirroring is an entirely sysadmin problem. It's like a uh, infrastructure setup and deploy and make it easy to deploy problem. And I'm pretty bad at that. So I need help with that. And uh, Evan and I have found some people that are interested and we're going to start to look into it. But if you want to help, let me know. Basically, the problem we've had with RubyForge was that the mirror stunk, right? Uh, you would like you, you would throw a gem up there and at least from what uh, a DHH would, would tell me is that they would have to wait for days to get a Rails release out because they would have to wait for all of the gems to get R-synced across the several mirrors that were round-robin DNS to gems.rubyforge.org. So basically, uh, the lesson there, yeah, it's re it really stunk that we lost it, but it's clear that the we want gems to be easy to install. I want to be, like, now it's a minute. It's, like, a little more than a minute, right, from when you type gem push to when you can install it. And that's great. I think that's one of the huge selling points on why gem cutter kind of won, won out. But uh, if we were to go back, I think, to like 15, to even, I think if it was even more than 10 minutes, I think people would start complaining <laughs> and start wondering what's going on. I would. So I think as for mirroring, we need, the system we had before was a pull system, right? Like you would set up a mirror in, God knows where, and then you would pull down new gems. And I think instead we need it to be a push system where the main server, so we say to you, here's the new gem, index it, and then once you have it, right, there's got to be some way of saying like, oh, you've got that now and you're ready, so we'll redirect to you for it. Yeah, that that, that seems like something for PubSub. I, I, yep. I think that, you know, put, putting all of that... Um, publication logic into rubygems.org itself and having to maintain all of that stuff with figuring out which mirrors it needs to push to yeah. is, yeah, you don't want to do that. 
Oh yeah, definitely. So yeah. That, there's some other background too. Um, I know for sure the maintainers don't want to put in something that makes you choose a lot of things. I think it's C C. Uh, I think it's uh, CPAN that like it makes you choose like a local mirror. Yeah, and that's like mm, one of yeah. the worst questions in CPAN. Right. It's like, well, how do I know? You know, which one of these is <laughs> right. good? Or yeah, right. Yeah, it should so, just pick it randomly. Right, it's the same. It auto detects now. Oh really? By what location? It's, it's done that for a while. It, yeah, I mean, like as you're going through the CPAN setup, it basically says, you know, it's time to pick. Uh, it's time to pick a mirror. Uh, would you like me to pick one for you? Hmm, okay. And, and is it using like geographic location in that? You think? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, or it might be. I mean, it might be. I think what it does. I don't. I don't think it's just like geographic. I don't think it's like you put in your location. I think it. It basically um, hits a bunch of them. And decide, you know, and, and figures out which one um, what came back the fastest. You know, it's basically looking at ping times. Interesting. Interesting. Well, so CPAN is the Perl one. The Perl right? archive. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's done that for a while. Well, uh, I, I am uneducated in the ways of Perl, so <laughs> I am. I apologize for my. Uh, insult, <laughs> but, but, but I think, uh, there's a whole other problem that comes with the mirroring that I, I don't know how others fix yet. And I think this is the thing that we need to look at other communities for how this is done, because it's frankly, in my opinion, embarrassing that we don't have it. And like, we always get offers for help, like, Oh, we'll mirror your stuff. And then we just were like, I don't know how to do that. So we need to fix that. And one of the bigger problems along with this whole push-pull thing is, uh, so let's say uh, I give you a gem, right? And how do I know, uh, Tamir, and I am going to trust you. How do I, like, how do I really trust you? How do I know you haven't, like, dumped and in, jumped into Rails and added, like, a delete from Star or something, right? Like, how do I know that gem is the, the, same, the same thing that the, that the uh, original author published? And that problem is difficult, right? So usually it's solved by by hashing, right? You do like an MD5. However, RubyGems doesn't have any of that right now. And there is a gem certification, like security cert thing, but no one really uses that. And uh, Eric Odell has a really has a decent post about uh, the web of trust and like how do we trust someone. Who uh, who's going to put gems up, right? Like, if we're going to let anyone put a mirror up and then redirect to anybody, how do we know that they're doing the right thing, right? So basically, rubygems.org or something that is community-run and official has to become like a... Basically, they have to become a, a, a CA. They have to become a certificate authority to provide trust. So that's a whole other problem that goes along with mirroring that. I don't think anyone on the team know like... Like, I don't think any of us knows how to do it easily. Otherwise, it would have been done already. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. interesting. So, 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 uh, I know there's more to say about mirroring, but there's a couple other topics that I want to throw out there. Um, One is uh, gem building tools. I know that Jeweler was all the rage for a while, and now Bundler has built-in support for building gems. And 
you know, and the gem command line tool where you can push stuff. So what's the what's the lowest friction recommended way of building gems and putting them up on on rubygems.org? Oh, uh, everyone has their own opinions with this. <laughs> yeah, but you're on the show, so give us yours. All right. Um, I typically I'll I'll usually use Bundler now. Uh, sorry, Josh, if you're listening, but uh, it's just easier and it's installed already usually. So I'll just throw do Bundler. I think is it new or init, whatever. I don't even remember what it is. So I typically just do that, and it works okay. I, I also sometimes I'll build them by hand. I'll build the gem specs by hand, but I don't think that's a common case. I don't think most people know how to build a gem spec by hand. So I think encouraging the tools is a good thing. Like yeah, like we'll say. I, I will say in a, in a talk when I'm teaching RubyGems, like, here's the gem spec. It's really, it's a simple little DSL to help you make a gem. But I'm not going to make you remember it, right? It's like we all learn, <laughs> it's like we all, it's like you learn an equation, right? And let's hope the teacher let you get the cheat sheet out and not have to remember it. So let's, uh, I, I'd rather people use the tool, use, use the kind of automation tools, and not have to worry about there's more interesting problems to solve right i'd rather you solve the problem <laughs> that your gem like if you're going to hook up a new api or uh or make my life easier or write another test framework or something like worry less about the thing that makes the gem and just write the write it and share it so I, i'm curious what the rest of the panel is using because i'm pretty sure all the rest of us have written gems as well oh, yeah yeah I, I use bundler it's just it's really simple and then i i will just use that uh, gem spec and hand tweak it myself. I, I often don't like the um, using Git to to figure out what files should go in the manifest. I'll I'll do that some other way. But, yeah, that's uh, been a, actually a recent discussion, and, and so I'll confess that I'm guilty of it. Uh, using using Git to throw stuff in there, and, yeah. and I never really thought about why that was bad. Um, and uh, until I listened to Ruby Rose while I was on vacation. Uh, <laughs> well, 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 I have to confess I don't do that all the time, and I think probably uh, most of my gems that are out there, you know, of the couple of them that are out there, uh, use the, the git ls or git files or whatever the command is to enumerate the files in the gem. But um, I have hand-built that a couple times, and, you know, I, I'm fairly ambivalent about it, although I try and avoid that shelling out. Now, What's the? Why would you not do that? Like I, I don't care either way. I'm just curious as to why. You so Aaron, Aaron actually discussed this on the uh, show that he's been working to make Rails start up faster. You know, and uh, he he went into looking why is Rails slow starting up basically, and what happened was that like just running rake environment in Rails was taking like a ton of time and he was trying to figure out what all what's did doing because at that point it hasn't even loaded rails so why mm -hmm. was it so slow and one of the reason is that everybody doing that gem or git trick to get the list of files in their gem spec so in order to just load rake you know and stuff like that the gems uh, it, we were shelling out tons of times to get, you know, to get these lists of files and stuff. That shouldn't be happening. Like maybe that's happening with his local install, but I feel like that's that kind of change doesn't get thrown up on the server, right? When when you no, build the no, it gem, doesn't. right? Yeah, so yeah, it's it's just the load time for Rails. That yeah, I guess okay. the the gem spec format. It's just running Ruby, so it's it's shelling out as part of right. You know, doing the Ruby, the, but is it? 
as a general PSA, though, you can't have runnable things in a gem spec. Like, you can't throw yeah. shell yeah. commands. Because that would stink, right? right. <laughs> install, yeah. so, install gem and it removes so, your home directory. So, so load, load times aside, one of the reasons that I don't shell out and do the git thing is that uh, if I'm doing development and the set of, and, and I'm not necessarily doing a git commit every time that I'm trying to regenerate a new version of the gem and yeah, I'm just doing like very short iteration stuff and making a lot of changes as I go and refactoring, et cetera. It's just a pain in the ass to have to do all of the git commits to have the git ls command find the right files to package in the gem for me yeah. to test. So I just, it's easier to do it with a dir glob or some manual thing. Yeah, I've always just done it manually, but I haven't written any gems that require more than a handful of files. I also have to admit that the tool that I usually use to to build my gems is uh, some form of a sophisticated copy-paste algorithm. And then... Um, That's <laughs> No, I'm serious. I when, when, I, when I write a new gem, I copy the gem spec out of one of my old gems, and I put it in the new one and just re you know rewrite part of it. Yep, I do the exact same thing. I go like, oh, let's go grab this gem spec from faster CSV and yeah, copy and then it, I, and then I clean it up. Yeah. yeah, and then I gem build, gem push. And yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty much it. So yeah. I will say that I'm against like a hand kept manifest file. Um, I, I did actually do that once and I really regretted it because I would miss little files uh, and then like the test wouldn't run or something like that when it yeah, got there. I've definitely done that too. So I, I'm not for like, I'm fine with keeping a manifest file or something like that. But if you are going to keep a manifest file, then at least you know, make a rake task or something that does the dir glob or the get ls or whatever to spit it out. You know, that's my opinion. Well, if you're going to go that way, why don't we start a fight over which fields are valid in a jump spec? <laughs> D- didn't we have that last year? There, yeah, which fields are valid? That that was uh, actually part of Jeremy's talk uh, when he went through all the stats. He talked about what the gems had and what they didn't have. Uh, you know, which ones were extensions. Uh, some of them have neat requirements like requiring Python or things like that. <laughs> you know, he, he gave all those uh, the statistics. And then there has been talk about, uh, which I, you're probably referring to, Chuck, about you know making arbitrary metadata available. Yeah. yeah no, I, I, have to, I have to mention, James, I've never heard of the Python gem. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's actually the Ruby Racer. Uh, it builds that V8 engine, right, to do JavaScript stuff. So uh-huh. it, needs, it needs Python to compile. Uh-huh. So I've used Bones a lot in the past, um, which is kind of a, a skeleton builder for, for gems. Um, it has some fun little features, like like if you have um, if you have some common fields that you usually fill in the same way, you can save a skeleton, like a named skeleton, and then or or just like a default skeleton, and it'll always use that in the future. So you know it'll just go ahead and insert your your usual information. Um, but uh, something I just heard about is something called Rake Gem, um, which uh, a friend of mine uh, used to gem- gemify a project I've been working on. And uh, it says here, um, it's not a library. It's just a few simple file templates that you can copy into your project. So there you go, copy and paste, um, and easily customize <laughs> to match your specific needs. And uh, this is this is from uh, this is from Tom Preston Warner. Warner. 
So we we probably need to go to pigs pretty soon, Nick. But I definitely have one other question. Um, you know, uh, Gem Cutter is a great project for people to get involved in and work with. So, what would you like to see done? You know, other than mirroring and stuff, which we've definitely talked about. But what things would you like to see added? Uh, so one of the things that uh, has been requested for a while, and someone might be working on it, and I haven't seen it yet though is uh, change logs. So people put change logs in their gems, but they don't really go anywhere. And you only get them really when like, oh God, what did this guy change? And then you look at it and hopefully they filled it out. But I think if the site had, and not so much the site, but if we had a separate service that um, parsed those change logs and showed them in a nice way, and it could be opinionated, I think, in a way that we can't. Like, I don't think we should dictate what the change what the change log format is, but if some other guy wants to, more power, more power to him, right? So, uh, I think that would be fun, like a little change log service, so like we could actually stay accountable for things. Uh, I would love more people to use the API. Uh, we ha- and they are. Uh, we have. Um, I, don't know, I can look up how many are active right now. So we have a webhook API that you can get a uh, you can get a HTTP HTTP post sent to you every time a gem is pushed, and then you can do whatever you want with it. You can download it, generate stats on it, run tests. There's a project that does that right now. It's at test.rubygems.org, and uh, I think they're looking for help as well. So more projects to like interact with our API and. Uh, mess around with it would be awesome. Um, I think that's pretty. Mu- I think that's pretty much it. I'm really happy with where we are right now. With there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of bugs and stuff that we need to clean up and a lot of infrastructure problems. But I think feature wise, like I don't think that I don't think we should really grow anymore. I feel like we should instead let the community build out things and basically expose all the data that we have and uh, see what other people can can do with it instead of continually bolting on more crap to the site. Like let's keep it where it is and let's make sure our API is awesome. So that, so others in the community can build on top of it. All right. Well, thanks Nick. Um, I'm going to go ahead and cut this off and uh, we'll go into the picks. Let's have James start us off since he hasn't been around for a while. This is my punishment for not being here. <laughs> yeah. Next time you'll show up. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Uh, while I was on vacation, I did a couple of things, uh, so all of my uh, recommendations will be uh, based on that. Um, one of the things I had to do that was actually um, actually semi-Ruby related, I needed a very simple IRC bot that did a few things, uh, and I just wanted to whip one up real quick, and so I went looking at the various Ruby IRC frameworks, and uh, I was surprised at how difficult it was to find one that just quickly allowed me to throw together a bot. Um, so many of them wanted to do like a, a Rails-y kind of thing of, here, let me generate your project with these 50 files you'll need to modify. And it was like, that was so not what I was interested in. You know, I, I wanted something I could just, uh, you know, and just post or, uh, something like that. So uh, I did find it, though. Uh it's uh, called Cinch, C-I-N-C-H, um, and uh, it's a great little bot framework in Ruby. It's stupid simple to um, get started with, and uh, I was able to whip up a IRC bot very quickly. It did exactly what I wanted. It has a, kind of a rich plugins uh, environment, so you can 
you know, add on things like uh, identifying with uh, Nick serve and stuff like that. <clears throat> so that it, it's really great to work with. So if you want to mess with IRC and uh, do it in a low ceremony sort of way, then uh, Cinch is really great for that. Uh, the other thing I did while I was on vacation was just to uh, play a ridiculous amount of games because uh, that's how I unwind and have fun, uh, which is important. We should all, you know, get away from the keyboard once in a while. There's kind of a wild world out there, and, you know, we should all remember to go play, I think, <laughs> however you do it. But if you're like me and you like games, I'll tell you what I was playing. Uh, I played some Skyrim, which I think pretty much the whole world is playing right now. So uh, it's a great game. It's a really deep uh, role-playing game. I actually spent eight hours one day just reading books in the game. <laughs> it's really surprising how deep the world is and stuff. You can just sit there reading these little books. Uh, it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, so I recommend checking out uh, Skyrim and... Uh, uh, the other game that uh, we were playing over the break is called Catherine. Uh, it's on the PS3 and and uh, Xbox, I believe. Uh, Skyrim is on the same and also on the PC. Um, but Catherine's kind of unusual. I, I would call it kind of a, a adult anime platform puzzler. Yeah, that's probably about the best description of it. Uh, it, it, it's surprisingly good. Uh, very old school in its uh, game style. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, just brutally punishing levels that kill you over and over again. And, and uh, so if, if that brings back fond memories for you, I, I know currently it's not very popular in the video game, game world, but I'm old and I enjoy it. So, um, and like I said, the story is pretty adult and uh, so it doesn't really talk down to you. It's kind of neat. How it all how it all comes together. So I would recommend checking out Catherine as well. Okay, that's it. I'm done. All right, Avdi. Uh, so uh, I have a Ruby pick. I um, it, it's one of those libraries that I just always use in every project, and and I forget that that uh, you know maybe not everyone knows it exists. So um, it's the addressable URI gem. And it's basically just a better replacement for Ruby's built-in URI library. And it does a lot of things. There's a bunch of things it handles just better, like it, it has fewer bugs in um, in uh, how it parses and represents uh, URLs and URIs. And it also has some interesting added features like support for URI templates, um, which are kind of neat. So um, addressable URI. And... Um, uh, your booze pick for today is Johnny Walker Double Black, um, another of my uh, holiday gifts for my wonderful wife. And uh, it's basically just – if you've ever had Johnny Walker Black, it's a uh, a sort of a smokier take on Johnny Walker Black scotch. And uh, if you like that sort of thing, it's pretty good. Charles Maxwood Black is a smokier take on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to. I want to see that outfit. <laughs> yeah, we're not going there today. Okay, Josh. Oh man. So, so uh, I, I kind of got nothing. I, I've been looking around trying to find this thing that I know exists, but I haven't had a chance to use yet. Uh, and I'm sure that Nick knows what it is because it's that notification service that lets you know when a gem that you're dependent on is updated. Gemnasium. 
Gymnasium, thank you. I, it's really hard to Google that. My Google skills failed this morning. <laughs> so um, I, I, uh, I, that's all I got. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been that kind of week for me. So uh, I'll, I'll do better next week. All right. Uh, I'll jump in next. Um, one of my picks is um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, but uh, when I was working at Public Engines and I worked with Dave there, um, one of our coworkers came in and he had this screaming flying monkey and you put your, your fingers in the little holes in his hands and then you pull him back and you let go and he goes across the room. Yeah, yeah. It's really funny. Um, anyway, so uh, I was watching uh, geekbeak.tv and uh, they, they were shooting them at each other. <laughs> it just reminded me how fun those things are. So uh, that's one of my picks. Um, my other pick this week... Um, it's been kind of a weird week, um, and so I really haven't gotten a ton of code done. Um, so it's not a code pick. Uh, the other pick is The Office, the television show, um, which is freaking hilarious. Now, I haven't gotten to any of the episodes where Michael Scott isn't the boss there, because I understand that Steve Carell left the show. Um, I've been watching it on Netflix. But uh, I have to say that that show, if you've ever worked in an office environment with any kind of extreme personality, then this show will make you laugh out loud because all of the characters like embody the different extreme personalities that you get in an office. And it's it's really just a screen. So anyway, th those are my picks. And uh, we'll let Nick pick a couple for us. Sure. Uh, I think I've got one. And... Um... I started playing with it yesterday. It's this site called showoff.io. And it basically is really cool. It lets you share uh, a server you've got running on your local on your local machine out on the web. And it's kind of mind-blowing. So the what, what I needed to use it for yesterday, I, uh, I, I needed to test something on my iPhone. And uh, I didn't want to hook up all the junk with my router and whatnot. And this site just lets you do it. You install the gem. And you just do show and then either like the host name, it's at locally or a port, and then it will throw that on a website for you externally so you can hit it from your phone or wherever you need it. And it just kind of blew my mind how easy that was. And they have they, they now have a new customer from me. So it was really cool, and I definitely suggest it. All right. Well, if that's it, then we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and end the show. Um, if you want to get more episodes, you can find them at rubyrogues.com, or you can also uh, find us in iTunes, and all of the episodes are still up there, or at least they should be. Um, we also, I keep having people now telling me, we've left a review on iTunes. Really, really appreciate that. Um, it helps the show move up, helps more people find it, and uh, you know, hopefully we can help a few more people become better developers uh, through what we're sharing. So... Um, I, I think we should get more forceful about that and say that if we don't get 50 new ratings by next week, we're not doing an episode. That's that, would, awesome. that, <laughs> that would ruin my week. I love doing this show. We're blackmailing our listeners now. I love yeah, that. yeah, right. I was it's watching Vimcasts, and I guess I guess the guy that did that he said unless unless I get like a hundred dollars sponsorship or something, I'm not going to release the next episode. And so two guys ponied up 50 bucks each, and he released it. Nice, nice. Okay, okay. Unless we have a corporate sponsorship by the end of the month, we're done. No, <laughs> I, I, I will be working on that anyway. Okay. So, 
Anyway, but but really appreciate that. If you do work for a company that might want to sponsor Ruby Rogues, have them contact me, Chuck, at teachmetocode.com. Yeah, but if we don't get T-shirts, we're not doing it. T-shirts. <laughs> nice.